0: From our gospel, Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then Jesus said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. You know, sometimes they say that things are not as simple as they appear. And I think sometimes, particularly when it comes to Scripture, we hear texts over and over again, and we think we know what they mean, and it actually kind of blinds us to what's an obvious point if you look at it with a fresh perspective. I'll give you an example. Today is one of the most well-known texts in the New Testament, certainly from Jesus' own lips. He says, render unto Caesar that w- th- those things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's, right? You've heard that before, right? What in the world does that mean? What does it mean? Anybody know? I should have probably taken a poll before. I had to write them down. Most people read this as a statement of a separation between church and state, right? In fact, part of this is because The reformers made great use of that little nugget in there to sort of break away from the churches during the Reformation in uh, in the European churches. But most people read this render unto Caesar, that what is Caesar, and God's what is God's, as sort of this separation of church and state, that there's the sacred and there's the secular, and the two are separate. And if you don't believe me, Anybody here watch the, uh, the hearings this past week with Amy Comey Barrett? Much of the discussion in questioning her, which I thought at points was just absurd, but a lot of the questioning involved was about this very thing. You know, can you separate your religious ideals from your judgments? Well, the fact is that none of we can't separate these things. We're not two separate beings in a body. You know, our values influence how we see the world around us, whether you have those values or not. And, and I think the even more pernicious thing here is Caesar rendered to Caesar, Caesar, and God with his gods. As I think if we're, as Christians, we sometimes wind up living this sort of dualistic world, right? Where there's the, there's the churchy me and there's the real me, right? We, there's the churchy me that tries to be very holy and devout, and then there's the real me, which I really know and people close to me know. But the fact of the matter is that's not, ex- that's not at all what Jesus is talking about here. I mean, Jesus' words seem to offer us a way out, right? A little bit of wiggle room that we can be one way on Sunday and another way in the rest of the week. We can separate our political or our, our religious views from our political views. Nonsense. That is completely completely—it's toxic because we are not bifurcated people. We are one being. It's a toxic idea, this separation, and it's actually completely cruel. And it misreads the text. And I'm going to show you why. So can we make, can we make a deal this morning? If, if, if there's one thing you get, it's this. Please dispense with the idea that Jesus is advocating for a separation of your religious feelings, your religious views and your political views, or your views in general. It's not what he's talking about. In fact, what he's talking about actually, which is profound, is the value of human life. Why? You matter. So buckle in, boys and girls. I'm about to dismantle what you think this means and show you the power. Show you the power of Christ's words. It's an implication, but you see it in a minute. The power of His words with the existential reality of the value of human life. Two points. I'm going to look at the power of an image. It's big. The power of an image and the consequences of being made in the image of God. That's what he's talking about. Put away the separation of church and state. It's to misread it. What Jesus is talking about is two things. The power of an image and the consequences of you and me being made in the image of God. You ready? Yeah? It's hard to read people when you're wearing masks. I keep saying that. Anyway, here's, the, here's the, this background of what's going on. Jesus is he is really making people angry. He's upsetting people. And the people he's upsetting at this point in Matthew's gospel because the clock is ticking and his days are almost at an end because the reality is he's basically making everybody frustrated and angry. And it's interesting, the two people, the groups of people he's frustrating are, oddly enough, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, and the governmental leaders, the Herodians. He frustrates, Jesus mm-hmm. frustrates equally both church and state, which is remarkable if you think about it. You know, we have this idea, another idea which I hope you've dispensed with long ago. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Nonsense, man. He is making everybody. He is spinning up the whole thing. He has overturned the apple cart. Everybody just can't wait to get rid of this troublesome Jew from Nazareth. And if you know anything about what's going on in the context here, the Herodians and the the Pharisees were, man, always banging heads, right? except now they've got a common enemy, and his name is Jesus. You with me? So you're like, all right, how are we going to rub this guy out? Now, remember something. This is important. The Jews at this period of time are, Israel is occupied territory. If you don't know your ancient Near Eastern history, the Romans had conquered it, had conquered the area, and now the Jews, all of them, including Jesus, live under Roman occupation, kind of like the Poles in Nazi Germany, right? They were there, they were a people group, but they were under oppression by the Nazis. The Jews are there trying their best to live their lives as faithful Jews under Roman occupation. That's the background here. And these, these, you know, church and state now gang up You know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. Uh, The enemy of my enemy. And so they gang up church and state, and they go to ask Jesus a loaded question. You wouldn't know this, but I'm going to tell you why it's loaded in a minute. They say to him, hey, Jesus, hey, you know, you seem to be, uh," they throw some some ridiculous sort of platitudes at him. We know you are holy and righteous. Yes, spare me. But then they say to him, hey, here's one for you. Hey, Jesus, yeah, is it lawful to pay tax to Caesar or not? Now, he's not, this is not just like, you know, taxes like you and I are thinking about. It's actually, the question here is a trap. Here's why. If Jesus says, yes, pay taxes, the religious leaders say, the Pharisees say, aha, we knew it, he's a traitor. Right? If he says, don't pay taxes, the Herodians say, aha, we knew it. He was a seditionist. He's against the Roman Empire. Put your hands behind your back, Jesus. We're taking you to jail for a room next to Willie Nelson. (laughs) He's a tax evader. You didn't know that. Whatever. All right. So, but the funny thing, right? The funny thing is, you know, (laughs) you, you cannot outsmart the Son of God. I know we all try. Some of us think we can pull it off. But, you know, you can't outsmart the Son of God. He's God. And so Jesus says to them something which is so profound is going to make your head spin. He says to them, here's the deal. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar and that which is God to gods. Now that word render, it's a Greek word. I'll come back to it in a second. The Greek word apoditomai. And it means to give something to someone which they already own. To give back to somebody something which is rightfully theirs. I'll get that to that point in a second. But what Jesus is driving at here, and here's the money point. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Show me this coin to pay the tax. Now, if you don't know this, this is actually super important. To pay the Roman tax, you had, all everybody had to pay it, Jews and Romans. Anybody under occupation had to pay the tax. And the coin was called a census. And on that census coin was an image stamped with Caesar. His image says, Tiberius Caesar, son of God, ruler of the kingdom. It is this, listen, this is the key to the whole text. He says, show me this coin. It's got Caesar's image on that coin. And Jesus says, it it is that image that gives that stamp value. It is that image that gives that piece of metal utility. It is that image of Caesar that allows you to pay the tax. It is that image of Caesar stamped onto that coin that turns a piece of metal into something valuable. Because not not only because it has Caesar's image on it, the point is, Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, render to God's what is God's. And here's the point, this is my point number one. That coin has value because it's got Caesar's image stamped on it. And Jesus' profound implication is that you have value because you have God's image stamped on you. That's why he asks for the coin. Because the implication here is, look, you give to Caesar what's rightfully his, which is money, but you give to God, which has a stamp of him on it, which is you, you're very person. Let me show you this. Well, let me ask you a question. I'm going get to get into something here. Um, and this is, a, well, it's not really a rhetorical question, but it's a real one. How many of you in this room believe that human life has value. Anybody? A couple in the back? Okay, good. How many of you believe that human beings have rights? How many of you believe that human beings should be respected and tolerated? Did you ever stop and wonder why you believe that? You probably never did. Well, I'll tell you one thing, you didn't learn it from watching TV. You didn't learn it from watching the world around you, right? Where did you learn it? Did you learn it from nature? No, you didn't want it there either. You didn't watch it you didn't learn it from watching the news because the world is unfair and cruel, right? And it's always it's always been that way. So why the expectation that it shouldn't be? Ah, I'll get to that in a minute. Well, I learned it from nature, Father. Yeah, no, you didn't. Go to the beach sometime and watch the birth of baby turtles. It's a bloodbath. You did not learn you do not learn the value of life from the culture. You do not learn the value of life from nature, God knows. Well, you say, okay, well, I was taught it by my grandma, my grandpa, my mom and dad taught me when I was a boy to respect everybody. Okay, yeah, that may be true, but that doesn't actually answer the question. All that does is kick the can down the road because the question then becomes, well, where did your mom and dad learn that from? You see my point? It's a hugely important question. Why, why? Why do you believe that human life has value? I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Because you and everybody else are made in the image of God. You know, you know this back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God says to himself in the plural, which is interesting, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even in Genesis 1. God says, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion over the earth that's my first point that the image of god is stamped whether you like it or not on everybody including the person in your seat that the image of god is stamped upon all humanity and that is why all human beings know intrinsically that human life has value so what are the consequences point number two what are the consequences of having this image this imago Dei is the Latin word, if you want to know. Impress your friends with that at lunch today. <laughs> well, you know, the one thing you have to know, when, when God created the Hadam, right, the Adam, the, the person of red dirt is what it means literally, God takes clay and he breathes into it, right? If you know God's breath in the Old Testament, is a creative force. The only being that God breathes into is you the only being that god breathes into are human beings god literally breathes his own essence his own breath into human beings which is why which is why christians have always always uncompromisingly believed that life begins from conception to natural death period and the reason is because people are made in god's image god breathes this is, why, this is why in the Old Testament to murder a person is the only crime of which, is guilt, which you can be punished for with death and also blasphemy, but they're the same crime. To kill a person is to commit blasphemy because that person is made in God's image. Don't you see? And if that's true, that human beings have God's image breathed, stamped into us, that means at least two things, maybe more. That you and I have an innate connection with God. Innate and secondly, that our lives matter. Can you remember a time, let's talk about this innate sense of God here. Um, can you remember a time ever in your life when you were, you were just completely aware of the presence of God? You ever have that? I hope you have. I, I sense when you just, and it doesn't have to be anything necessarily even churchy. It could be at the beach. Kathy and I were last night, went to the King Tide. It was a highest tide of the year last night. We went out to the beach at like 8.30 and watched the tide roll in. It was incredible, just like power. And you can just feel the sense of God's presence, right? His, overs- his overarching control of all things. You ever had that? The answer is yes, you have. That something bigger is behind it all. Why do you believe that? Well, the thing is, all humans believe that. I mean, I'm not saying all humans are Christians, but if you look at human history, you've got to look really hard and 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 try really hard to find an atheistic culture. There's not many. But human beings believe in something bigger than themselves. I'll never forget, when I was director of Trinity Church in Red Bank, New Jersey, we had an AA meeting that had been there forever and ever. And there will be like 250 people in this AA meeting. And they stood up, and there, t- one guy was talking about his higher power. Okay, fine. And I almost got fired for this, but I got up and I said, you know, my name is Father Chris, I'm the director here, I believe in a higher power too, and his name is Jesus. That didn't go over well. But the point is, friends, we all believe in a God. And there is no evolutionary reason for it. There's no evolutionary reason to believe that God exists. Why? Because believing in God means you typically have to give of yourself. You've got to give up something, sometimes even die for it. It's totally counter to the survival of the fittest. My point is, all human beings believe in God. All human beings have an innate sense that God is there and real. Because you were born that way. You were conceived that way. Many of you don't know, I was, I was called to be a priest when I was in fifth grade, which is astounding because we didn't really even go to church and I didn't really even believe in God all that much. I mean, a little, kind of, right? A nagging sense that something was out there. But, you know, I was, five, I was in fifth grade. I didn't really care about that stuff. I always knew that something was there. I always knew that there was a connection there. I always had a, you know, the Greeks have this idea that the, of humans being tied to like a golden cord, right? It's like this cord that goes to God, like an umbilical kind of thing. I, I wasn't that smart in fifth grade, but I always had this sense that God was present with me. And you have this too. We all have it. Um, I'll never forget, when I got older and began to stop running from the call and actually began to engage God as a man and what he was leading me to be, uh, I'll never forget, i I was thinking, well, you know, God, why are you calling me to do this? I said, you know, I wonder what it would feel like, I wonder what it would feel like to not have that connection to God, to not have that golden cord, whatever you want to, just cut. And I said, to, I said Lord, I said, this is crazy, but I did it. I said, Lord, I want, I want to know what it feels like to not know you, so I will know how to minister to others. I said, Lord, I want you to take your spirit from me. And he did. Lord, take your spirit from me, I asked, and he did. And I will tell you, friends, it was maybe six seconds. It was the most disturbing, unnerving, unnatural, terrifying 10 seconds of my life. I think literally the Lord gave me a taste, a glimmer, a sense of, of hell, to be blunt. And the reason is it was so unnatural and terrifying, it's one of the reasons I'm standing here, is because now I know what it feels like to not have Him. And every person in this room knows what it feels like to have a relationship with God, alive or dead, because every person in this room is made in the image of God. You all know it. You know it intuitively, you know it intrinsically. And I want you to let that sink in that you are made stamped with God's image. And that because of that, you and all humanity, all human beings, have an innate connection with him. There's another point here that's maybe more pastoral. And that if you and all humanity, humans, are made in the image of God, that means that your life and my life and all lives matter. That all lives matter from the moment of conception to the moment of natural death. And not only that all lives matter, that all lives matter whether you like them or not. <laughs> you know, we're in, a, we're in a really, maybe it's just me, but it, we're kind of in a rocky political season. Here. Can I get an amen on that one? <laughs> so here's what I, I, was funny, we were talking about this at the staff meeting on Tuesday. We kind of go through with the staff sort of what I'm, what's kind of noodling around for me on the sermon. And, and, uh, and I was talking about how the country's just so polarized. But I was also talking about how we are also called to realize that all people are made in God's image, whether we like them or agree with them or not. And Reedy Semsprit, our preschool director, said, you know, Father, here's a, here's a God thing. I said, what's that? She said, one of my friends texted this to me this morning. I'm going to read it to you what she said. It's, it's really great. Again, the context of people being made in the image of God, even if we don't like them. She said this. Kamala is beloved. Donald is wonderfully and fearfully made. Mike Pence is cherished. Joe Biden is important enough that I died for him. (laughs) My guess is that some of those names made you squirm a little bit. Just saying. That's kind of my point. My guess is that some of those words make you angry. and That's kind of my point too. Because scripture is true. If all men and women are made in God's image, then all men are made, all women and men are made in God's image, whether you like them or not, whether you agree with them or not, even politically. Even politicians are made in God's image, friends. And to kind of rein that in and bring it in home a little bit, I want you to think of someone, I want you to think of someone in your life right now. Don't overthink it. It won't take much. Think of someone in your your life right now that's just not easy for you, that's really just causing you a lot of stress. Maybe it's a neighbor that doesn't clean up his dog from the front yard of your house. I don't know. Maybe it's somebody you're caring for health-wise. Maybe it is political. Could be. Maybe it's one of your kids or your grandkids that you just have a really hard time with, man. Know what? I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. Remind yourself of something. That person is made in God's image. James, in his epistle, writes the following. This is great. James 3.5, he writes, he's talking to the church. His brothers, with our mouths, we bless, with our mouths, we bless God our Father, and we curse others made in his image. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. And here's my pastoral point, right? That as a pastoral matter, when you find someone challenging, difficult, frustrating, aggravating, just remember that that person's made in God's image too. And the person, in some sense, the person that you were dealing with, has God's breath image in them and on them. I'm not saying you have to like them. I'm not saying you have to trust them. What I'm saying is you do have to love them. And I'll tell you, that helps me. Just the other day, I was driving right over here, driving home from uh, Uh, taking Gracie over to school, and there's a guy, a homeless guy in the street corner, clearly intoxicated, and it was like 10 o'clock in the morning, right, 9 o'clock in the morning, clearly loaded, shirt hanging open, you know, just, the guy's just a mess, right, and I'm, and I drive by the guy, I think, okay, roll him up and hit the gas, that's what went through my mind, roll him up and hit the gas, but then I, the Holy Spirit reminded me, hey, you know what, that man is made in God's image, and it helps me, and it helped my heart, and it will help yours, Remember that people are made in God's image. It will help you, friends. And my final thing I want to talk on briefly here is I'm going to come back to a word I mentioned a minute ago. God says, render to God what is God's, and render to Caesar what is Caesar's. That word render is the word it's a super important word. And it means back. It means to give somebody something back which is already theirs. So when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and God's what is God's, he's not saying throw a, don, you know, throw a gift to God or throw a gift to Caesar. He's saying, no, man, you're giving back to that person what's already theirs. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like, you know, you, you borrow your boss's battery from his drill for two months and never give it back. Right, Father Gritter? <laughs> <laughs> Render means to give back. I'm only only playing, dude. Render means to give back to someone something which is rightly theirs. Jesus says, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but you give to God what is God's. And that thing is you (laughs) because you belong to him. You are not your own. Scripture says, You were bought with a price. You are made in God's image. Jesus says, Give back to God what is rightly his give back to God that thing which has his image upon it. That thing is you. Shall we pray, Father, we thank, you for, we thank you for creating us in your image to bear you in this world as your children. Remind us that all lives matter because they are all made in your image Help us to see your image in our own lives and the lives of those around us. And help us to give back to you that which is rightly yours, our very selves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.